0: I'm wanting to particularly talk about communicating hope by what we say, so that is where I want to go today, that's my subject for this morning, and to be honest, it's going to be about sharing our faith with other people, and as I've, I've been preparing, obviously, for a week or so, actually, and thinking and praying, this week, a couple of things have really brought it to a focus, which you probably would ant- I know yourself, most of you. Two items of news. Um, one, which was earlier in the week, was the fact that a, a very good, sound Christian woman, Victoria—I don't know how you say her name—Wastney, 39-year-old senior occupational therapist with the NHS, who shared a bit of her faith with a Muslim colleague, who seemed to be very interested. And she lent her a book and prayed with her once, and I, I think gave her an invite to church. And according to this, and if you see the girl, she looks a very sane, sensible woman, uh, and a friendly woman uh, of, as I say, 39. So she's experienced as well, and a senior uh, therapist. And she said, I had no idea she was being offended. She said, I got friendly texts from her. So all that's going on. But in the end, she was accused of harassing and bullying this girl, this Muslim girl. Under discipline in the NHS and uh, she appealed against it and the appeal was dismissed. Now, I had a, a mixture of, uh, you know, it was, in other words, the original judgment was upheld that she had bullied and harassed. And when you read it, you think, this isn't bullying, this is nonsense. Honestly, this is ridic- ridiculous. And you, you actually think, this is quite scary because it means you can talk to someone, they appear to be friendly, you just say, interested in a book, you lend them little bit of prayer, and before you know where you are, the full might of political correct law in our country falls on you. And, and I don't even know the backstory, but I, you can imagine, it doesn't take much imagination, I think the Muslim lady's only got to talk to her community, a few hardliners say, oh, yeah, they shouldn't, you know, and put a pressure on her, she makes a complaint, etc., etc., because it appeared to be friendly. So that's slightly scary, and it also reminded me of the first century, when uh, the apostles are talking about Jesus and the authorities, legal authorities say, you are not to speak about Jesus. And they say, we've got to obey God and not men. There comes a point when you don't obey the authorities because you're obeying God. Now, I'm not encouraging rebellion and I'm not encouraging us to be uh, disturbing or, or, uh, or, or defiant But I do think we are in a culture which at one side you think is getting very close to the first century, where it's quite difficult to talk about Jesus in some contexts without apparently incurring the wrath of authorities. That's a slightly scary negative point, but a very positive bit of news this week in many ways was dear Justin Welby yesterday, who I thought handled the issue of uh, discovering his father was different from the one he thought he had. And the whole thing, if you saw the news, you probably on the BBC, you had to see it early in the day. By the evening, they were more interested in uh, David Cameron's taxes. But it was a big news item. And if you want to find out, go on the website at Canterbury or maybe even the Daily Telegraph, which broke the news. And they had much more information on it. So it's worth reading Justin Welby's statements. It's worth reading what his mother says, who's also a Christian. And and it's, it's outstanding, and it's an example of how a Christian can give an account of the hope they have when they face not only a difficult personal crisis, but the whole world looking at it and being questioned about it. And I have, therefore, this amazing mixture of emotions about my country at this time. I feel we're in a sort of conflict, where in one way the devil would scare us into saying, you cannot say anything about Jesus. And another way you think when you get an opportunity, I would not personally think that any archbishop in my lifetime would have been so clear in what he said as Justin Welby about you know his identity's in Christ, not in his DNA. It doesn't, it's a beautiful statement of a sound Christian. And when you see the more thorough statement, it refers to God being his Father and how that has made a huge difference. His testimony's in there. And you think, that's superb. Something's going on in our country where it's almost like the light's getting brighter and the dark's getting darker. And we're right in the middle of it. And we're part of it. And we've got to decide, is our light going to shine or not? And we could learn even from Justin Welby that you have to take the opportunities you're given and give an account of the hope. Now, I'm running ahead of myself because that's where we're going to go in a moment. But the verses that we're going to look at are written in a context where you could be put in prison for talking about Jesus. And actually, the verses we take from Paul in a moment, we're not going to look at them yet, those verses were written from prison because he was preaching about Jesus. Now, I want to say something else in the introduction. I want to be very honest with you. I am speaking to you this morning not as an expert in this area. I'm not a particularly effective evangelist. I'm not a natural, personal evangelist witnessing to people. Many of you in this room would be better at what I'm going to talk about than I am. I know that. <laughs> And it's quite awkward when you get up and speak like that. So I even had to go through, I think, Lord, why am I speaking this morning? And I felt, I mean, I've got something to say, of course, but I felt God said to me, you're speaking because of what I gifted you to be and who you are. That you are a leader, you're a teacher of my word, and you have got a heart for this, and so I want you to speak boldly and clearly about it. But I want to say at the beginning, I know some of you, will be more effective than I am in this area. And I love that. And I say, I want to encourage you this morning. For others of you that are a bit like me, a little reticent and quiet in this area, I want to encourage you, join me in pressing forward. Join me in getting a little bit out of the cage, getting a little bit more bold in what you say. We'll look at that in a few minutes. But I am very, very committed to the gospel. I'm doing what I'm doing this morning because I believe it is better for everybody in this country to know Jesus than not to know him. I don't care whether they're young or old, clever or stupid. I don't care what race they are. I don't care actually what religion they are, to be honest. I think in the end they will be better off knowing Jesus. And I'm committed to that. It's one of the reasons I'm not a school teacher. Well, I, w- I wouldn't have been anyway. I've t- been retired by now. But anyway, but it's one of the reasons I, I gave up school teaching and, and, serving, and served in the church. It's because I honestly, honestly believe the gospel is the answer for individuals' needs and for our nation. I really, really believe it. In fact, I'm utterly convinced. I know there is nobody, nobody who would not be better off to know Jesus as their Lord and Saviour from Prince Charles down to one of the people who sleeps in the street. Nobody would be not better off. They might, life might get a little more complicated and more challenging in some areas. That's not the point. They would come to know hope. They would come to know healing and restoration. They would have a totally different perspective, like we were singing about this morning, like Justin Welby displayed. He's, this isn't the first tragedy in his life. He had a, a, a little daughter uh, under a year killed in a car accident. He had, uh, he had actually great confusion about his family. His father was an alcoholic, so was his mother. And he was, you know, it, you can read the story. This is just one of a series of personal crises, tragedies he's coped with. And his faith is why he's come through so strong and clear. So actually, whatever people are tussling with, I want them to know about Jesus. Amen? Amen. So we have a mission that affects all of us to share the good news about Jesus with everyone. Now, we all tussle with it. I speak as someone who tussles with the mixture of legalism, or I don't want to have to do it or ought to do it, the mixture of embarrassment and shame and fear even about doing it. And condemnation when you don't do it, when you miss, you feel you missed an opportunity. I understand all that, but I want to demystify it this morning. I want to talk practically. I want to talk simply. And the Bible really helps me. We're going to look at two simple passages, straightforward, written by the, probably you could argue, the two foundational apostles of the whole thing. Paul and Peter, the two guys who are the main sort of stays of things in the New Testament. Paul breaking out into the Gentile world. Peter more into the Jewish world. Men who were absolute foundation stones in our faith. And they both have very straightforward things to say about this subject. So let's quickly look at it. Colossians 4, please, and then verses 2 to 6. I think it's all going up on the screen. It's just a short quote. Devote your, this is Paul. seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer everyone and here's the other one this is peter 1 peter three fifteen. but in your hearts revere christ as lord always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have but do this with gentleness and respect we're just going to look at five things. I've got five points this morning. I'm going to talk, first of all, about be authentic. That's my first point, be authentic. Peter writes this, In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. And then he says, Give people a reason for the hope you have. So the first week you, work you've got to do is be sure that you have Jesus central in your life. That you revere Christ as Lord in your heart and that you genuinely have this hope in Jesus. What Justin Welby says, any real Christian, you read it, you think this is another brother. He's got it. He knows. These are not contrived answers. These are not spin answers. These are not polite answers. They're what a Christian can say. And so what's inside is coming out put in a dignified way, put with careful words, but clearly what's inside is coming out. And and I think that's what's got to happen. You've got to be fresh in God. You've got to keep yourself fresh in the Lord. You've got to keep Jesus as central to your life. Revere him in your heart. If you're not, you're going to not come out with the right thing when the time comes. So our faith has got to be real. Here's the encouragement. A spirit-filled Christian who loves God and loves Jesus will inevitably share their faith. Let's talk about that a little bit. In Galatians 4 verse 6, it says this. You can pop that one up for me, please. Because you are sons of God, God sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. Real Christians are born of the Spirit of God. You're not just individuals who made a decision to follow The Christian religion, as opposed to another philosophy, you don't you're not just like someone who's got a political conviction and belongs to a political party. There is something much more profound about being a Christian. You are born of the Holy Spirit. God lives in you. Your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God is in you. Or in these terms, the Spirit of the Son of Jesus is in your heart. A spirit who calls out Abba Father. And so when Martin Lloyd-Jones does a commentary on this, he says this, The spirit we have within us is the spirit of God's own Son. The feelings that the Son entertained are therefore the feelings that move believers. In other words, we've got in our heart something of what's in Jesus' heart. And what's that going to be? Well, it's not hard to say. That's going to be a desire to honour the Father and that all might come to know the Father. Got to, you want to glorify God. Jesus wanted to glorify God. He had a desire that everyone would know what Father was like. And if you're a real Christian, that is in your heart. I honestly believe it's in my heart. It's why I do what I do. But I don't have to do what I do to do it. I was doing it before I do what I do. But, you know, I was, when I was a school teacher, it's not about, well, you would do it. No, no. In my heart... Is a desire that men should know God. He's not a horrible God. He's not a God who some sort of nasty tyrant. First of all, there is a God. It's not, you know, made out of nothing and no meaning to it, all chaotic, chance driven. It's rubbish. There's a personal God. That's nonsense. It's a lie. There's a personal God. And you're going to meet him one day, for goodness sake. I want you to know. I want you to know he's a great God and a good God, a father. And there's something of what Jesus had in his heart that's in our hearts. And then in this, another characteristic of Jesus, if you like, in our spiritual DNA, is a love for people and a desire for them to be saved. So we actually don't want people to go to hell. We actually do want them to know Jesus. We want them to have the hope we've got for this life and the life to come. And so there's in us an instinctive desire that people should know. And if you've got that in your heart, even if you're pretty rubbish at doing anything about it, which I can feel, be encouraged you've got it in your heart. We've just got to learn how to do it better. And we've got some instructions from Peter and Paul to help us. But but frankly, first and foremost, you need it in your heart. Revere Jesus as Lord in your heart. And then it's going to come out in the right way. Jesus said, Don't put your light under a bowl, put it on a stand. Let your light shine before others. The light will shine if you don't put a bowl over it. Now the next point is gonna be very profound. This is the sort of insight that you give your tithes for. Okay, the next point, please. Be friendly. (laughs) It's not rocket science, is it? It's be friendly. Now, let's just think about this for a moment. Let's think of some of the assumptions behind what Peter and Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, what they've written. Let's just think. You've seen what they've written. Now, let's think. Both Peter and Paul assume that Christians, who they're writing to, they're writing to all Christians, they assume that they're vitally involved in the local community and that they meet non-Christians and talk to them that's clearly the assumption behind what's written that people have ample opportunities to interact with those who are not yet Christians and that in interacting they talk to them and would talk about their faith now you say well yeah some of you say well that's obvious half of you don't (laughs) because you're like me half of you don't do it very much but frankly it is right to make friends with people who are not yet Christians and to be engaged and involved so that If you get an opportunity, you can talk about it. It's a starting point, but it's a very important starting point. There's another thing you can pick up from Peter and Paul in this thing. They obviously would accept that comparatively few Christians will be called to preach the good news about Jesus. But they clearly assume everybody is called to witness about Jesus. In other words, it's not the few who are called to preach, like Peter himself or Paul himself. It's all of you are going to be talking about Jesus, not just us. That's the assumption behind their writing. That's the Holy Spirit's assumption. What we're talking about today applies to literally everybody who follows Jesus. Everybody in my earshot today, or even listening on a, online, it applies to all of us. If you are a dear follower of Jesus and you're in a care home towards the end of your life, and you've still got the ability, I trust you can give a good account of the hope you've got as you come towards the end to meet Jesus. And I trust some of you who are very much in older life will still be talking about Jesus to your friends. If you are in school and you love Jesus, somewhere or other you're going to have an opportunity to share with your friends what your hope is and what you believe. It's going to be totally your own way. It's not going to be the same as someone in my age group, but it's going to be in your way. And everything in between, this is something for all of us. It really, really is. I don't care how high-powered your job is. I don't care how low and menial your job is. I don't care if you haven't got a job. We're all actually called to be witnesses and have got opportunities to share. Here's another assumption we can pick up from what Peter and Paul say. It is that ultimately we are committed to words. Yes, we'll have works. Yes, we'll pray, I hope, uh, and see wonders, people healed. But in the end, we will tell people about Jesus. That somewhere or other, we're ultimately going to express it as news. News we tell people. Good news we tell people. We communicate hope by what we say as well as by other things. Now, lifestyle is very important. Good works are very important. It's important we back it up with the way we behave. But in the end, there is an expectation in Scripture that you will talk about it. And that ultimately, people will respond to truth they hear, not just to kind acts they experience. So ultimately, you'll get to that. And I think that's a clear assumption behind the way this is written. And it finally, as perhaps I've already said, assumes we're going to be friendly with people. I I just encourage you to be friendly with the people you meet regularly, the neighbours. The people in the shops where you go regularly, the people you go to work with, the people you meet with, just, I mean, literally be friendly. I, I, I know I may not be an expert, but I do have a go and I do do okay sometimes. And in the last few weeks, I was in Serbia a few weeks ago and uh, we're meeting some churches and I'm sitting in Belgrade Airport about three Mondays ago, waiting to come home. And um, I'm sitting next, we're waiting for our flight, we're in the departure lounge, we come through security, and I've bought a bottle of water. And it's a very odd thing, in Belgrade Airport, you, it seemed you could only buy proper glass bottles of water, which I think is strange. Because you think people you know, are worried about terrorists, they're going to smash that. And, but anyway, that's how it was, that's how it was, you can only buy glass bottles of water. This is important for the story, okay? story it's a a story it's a story it's a shaggy dog story no it's a story so I've got this glass bottle of water I love water as you all know or some of you know drinking my water and I've got a bit of a cold and I'm old and I'm bald okay you know that my cold's okay now and so I'm sitting there not looking that great with my bottle of water on the floor beside me and beside me is a really nice looking young man I mean, he really, he's a really, you know, he's a good, strong, he's clearly got nice clothes on, he clearly knows his stuff, and he's working away on his laptop, he's a, a bit of a casual dress, but he's clearly, a, you just can tell, you know, he, he knows what he's doing, and we're just sitting there silently, <laughs> me next door, <laughs> and he's, he's next to me. And then he moves to get his thing, he moves to get his whatever out of his bag, and he kicks my bottle over. And because it's all quiet, it's really noisy, and it rolls, you know, clonk, the top's on it, so it's okay. And it clonks, and he goes, oh, terribly sorry, quite posh voice, terribly sorry. And I said, oh, don't worry, I said, it's stupid, isn't it, glass bottle. All I did was took the conversation beyond, no, no, it's okay, it's okay. You could stop it, oh, that's okay, don't worry, I'm English, you know. No. Or you could or you could say, like I did, without thinking, oh, it's stupid, is it? Glass bottles? Why give us glass bottles? I've never, I've never been to an airport where you buy a glass bottle when you've gone through security. And he said, oh, no, no, that's true. I said, how often have you been to Serbia? So the conversation starts. So I said, first time. I said, oh, I'm often in Serbia. So I said, oh, what do you do in Serbia? And, I mean, people do things I don't even know exist. So he was a music journalist, but he's not now. He travels with a a camera, a, a recording thing, and a laptop. And he records music and folk music and uh, things. And then he puts it on the internet. And then he connects people, connects people. And he, was, and he started talking about what he did. And, and he, he went to Hong Kong for an hour to do this. I said, hour? I said, who pays for that? Because I'm me, you said. <laughs> no, I didn't say it quite like that. I, mm. I, I said it more courteously. I said, oh, um, how do How do you? Why would? Who would pay for you to go for an hour? And he said, "Oh, that's all part of the contract." And he said, "What are you doing?" So obviously, I've got a head start on some of you, because unless I lie, I'm straight into it, aren't I? Well, I'm visiting churches, and honestly, he didn't go. Ah, 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 right, okay, that's enough of that. He he started talking to me. Oh. Rocket site. So, what do you doing? What do you do in a church? Well, I said I'd explain what I did. So I said, well, where, you know, where, whereabouts? What church is there? And then I, I'd happened to be in Croatia the night before, and it was a great worship time. And they wrote their own songs. Apparently, I couldn't understand it. It was all double Dutch to me. Well, it was. It was Croatian, but the, <laughs> but they. But, you, um, but actually. I said, Well, they write their own songs and it's great. And he, because I mean, it's music, I did it deliberately, obviously. He was, he was interested in what sort of music do you have? We had a lovely conversation. Now, I didn't bring him to the Lord, but I honestly believe that's part of a conversation. And he said, oh, That friendly old bloke with the sniffy nose it's quite nice. He was a Christian, he was a church. I met a pastor the other His world and my world were totally different, you could tell. Lived in the centre of London, loads of money. But actually, there was some contact and very quickly in the, about a week later we had a, a much more working class young man come around to sell me insulation and i said well i'm not really interested in the moment uh, you know i'm going i might be changing my thingy you know my life i'm sort of i'm older i so said i'm about to be you know take some pension and stuff and he said all right what do you do <laughs> so again boom, boom so i talked about what i did and as i'm talking this really nice ordinary guy he said, he, said, he said, what sort of church? I'm describing it. He said, is it an evangelical church? And I said, yeah, I'm surprised you know the name evangelical. That <laughs> wasn't being rude. And I was surprised. And he said, he said oh, I've got a friend who goes to one of them, blah, blah, blah. And so we then talked about it. Again, he didn't repent, go on his knees on the kitchen table, but, oh, God help me. I would have been nice, but he didn't. He didn't. But I think he's got a friend who goes to a church like I go to. And I've just played a part, because obviously I said more about it. We had a five, ten-minute conversation. Sorry that's so long, but I hope that's useful. It's not rocket science. I am not an expert. But maybe sometimes it's just going beyond the initial English politeness. Just talking about, what did you do Sunday? Don't avoid saying, I went to church. But be real. If it was boring, say it was a bit boring this week. Be normal. Be normal. And they say, oh, isn't it boring every week? No, no, it isn't, actually. And before you know where you are, you're into a proper conversation. Just be real and be normal and be friendly. Wow, I've got five points. Three to go. (laughs) Okay. Help. One quote from an evangelist friend of mine from years ago. Evangelism is developing friendships and letting your relationship with Jesus spill out naturally. It's not going to be on the screen, but it's just... Common sense, but it's a sort of wise thing. It's developing friendships and letting your relationship with Jesus spill out naturally. Be prayerful, though. Let's go to the third one. This we learn from Paul. Paul is brilliant. One commentator says very well, I wish I'd have thought of this. In those verses we looked at, it says verses 2 to 4, Paul tells us about speaking to God about people, and in verses 5 to 6, speaking to people about God. Well, it's very neat, and it's true. So Paul says you've got to do both. You've got to speak to God about people as well as to speak to people about God. And actually, effective evangelism of any sort has to be rooted in, a, in prayer. We need to pray for open doors to talk about Jesus. Pray for opportunities. Pray for the right words to say when we get those opportunities. One old writer on this ver- these verses in Colossians said this, God opens the door by his providence. Many fail to note this, and they try to open doors for themselves. That's often when you get in trouble. When we are spreading the gospel, we must follow God's providential indications as to where we ought to work. Okay, it's a language of 200 years ago, but there's wisdom in it. When we are spreading the gospel, we must follow God's providential indications as to where we ought to work. You don't have to speak to everyone about Jesus. You don't have to do it all the time. You don't have to get weird and clunky and awkward about it. But when there's an open door, an opportunity, do it. That's basically the teaching. And it's wise teaching. Paul, interestingly, if you read Paul's request for prayer, they nearly always are pretty well what they are here in Colossians. He prays for open doors and then boldness or clarity to speak. Now, I think we should stop right there and learn from that right now. Paul doesn't pray for people to be saved. He doesn't say, pray that loads of people are saved. Why doesn't he do that? It's interesting, isn't it? What he prays, he has a confidence in the sovereignty of God and that God wants people to be saved. He has no doubt in his mind of a sovereign God who's more interested in people being saved than you and I are. That's why Jesus came to die. We don't have to twist God's arm, oh God, save one, it would cheer us up. No, no. God wants people saved. God wants people saved. That's what Paul thinks, and he's also very confident that if he can speak clearly, it will be fruitful. Paul has a confidence in the gospel. You can pick it up all through his letters. He's convinced, if I get a chance to speak boldly and clearly, there'll be some fruit. And I want to say to you, let's live like that, brothers and sisters. I'm trying to. Let's live with a confidence that God's for this idea of sharing the good news and people becoming Christians and loving Jesus. Let's live with a confidence that God's in it all and wants to open our doors for us. But also that actually. It is about him and not us. The gospel itself has a power and the Holy Spirit comes in on that power. And it's not that I've got to be able to answer every question about evolution and creation and suffering in the world and whether the green men on Mars and whether, you know, the oggie-bongies do this. No, no, I don't need to know about every question. I could do some work on that, but i just got to speak as clearly as I can and let God do the rest. Paul has a The bits Paul says pray about is pray for open doors and that I can speak clearly. And I think that's what we should pray for each other. I'm going to encourage you to do it before we go home this morning and encourage you to do it other times. Pray, God, give me an opportunity and then help me to make the most of it in a, in a clear way and a sensible way. So prayer is very important. Prayer for God's leading. Prayer that he'll give you courage and clarity to speak. And here's the fourth point. Third point, that was prayerful. Yeah, fourth point. Oh, we're getting along with it now. Be wise. Ah, now this is very practical. This is about speaking to people about God. Sorry, I've hopped over one of those scriptures. You can pop this one up. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Let's put it up. Because this is a bit of a key one. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you will now know how to answer everyone. Research has shown that 80% of what we communicate has got nothing to do with what we say. It's all about how we say it and how we behave around what we say. I mean, I think that's pretty well-founded research. I mean, the figures you could argue with. But we communicate much more by our body language and how and our attitude to people than purely by the words we say. And also... You know, our behaviour matching the words is... I mean, Justin Welby is weighty because you think this guy is showing a dignity. And when you read the detailed accounts in the Telegraph where Charles Moore was the guy who got the scoop and all the rest of it, and he talks about interview he talks much more thoroughly about his interview with Welby, and he talks about the calmness and the dignity. And he, he asks him, "Doesn't this disturb you, doesn't it worry you? And he makes some very just gentle, firm... No, not at all you know, and he means it, you know, he said it, it's messy, and he acknowledges it's an odd thing to have, to handle, but he's, he's actually showing something by his behavior, which is as important as his words, and so we're like that too, so we need to be wise in how we act with people, that it's no good spouting about Jesus, and then being a right pain, and old misery, and awkward, and greedy, and selfish, and troublesome and you know uh, we've got to try and say this is a holistic thing that I am showing the love of God so actually our lifestyle is very important Uh, our our actions are very important And, and they are ways in which we show friendship Marian's very good at this with neighbours and stuff. You know, if they have a baby and give them a present and remember what you know to do that. I mean, that sort of thing. It, it's not like contrived. It's just being natural. Be naturally friendly. It's back to the other point, really. Be naturally caring and thoughtful, and then the words make sense. Be wise in how you behave, says Paul. Be wise in the way you act. Sorry, towards the outside. So this is about our actions not just our words. Now, I want to sort of have that in mind, but my last point is be prepared. So if we could go to the fifth one, and that will tie in with both those uh, scriptures because what I've got in mind with this is actually what Peter says. We read it earlier. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have. Paul says, make the most of every opportunity, as we've just read. What do we learn from this? Well, the best conversations are always those that you don't initiate, which is why you really need to work at the other simple stuff of being friendly, being available, going... You know, if you are part of a club or something, you know, go for the drink afterwards. Don't just rush away to go to a church prayer meeting. Sorry, sorry, Steve, I didn't mean that really. But, you know, it might be better for you to engage with people. Otherwise, you just come and play the game and disappear. Often the friendly bit is afterwards when you all talk about it and drink together, not too much, of course, and that sort of thing. So, I I mean, it's be friendly, and then in that context, you're looking for things that they initiate. I do have memories of working regularly in in a secular situation, and And I I mean, it was a more robust thing than seemingly the poor old NHS that this dear woman, Victoria, had. I mean, people were pretty robust in their opinions about what I believed. And I would give back a little bit. I usually usually use better language. But, you know, and people would say, oh, it's rubbish in other words. And I said, no, it's not. I "I think you don't have a clue what you believe. You know, we used to have quite robust conversations. It was all fun up to a point. Some of them got crossed. But I tell you this. These, the best moments, this one that still sticks in my mind, there was the best moments when people came to me privately and said, John, you know, I've just just heard I've got cancer. And you think, why are you telling me? It's because you know I've got something more to offer. Or another one which stands in my mind was a very intelligent, I would probably suggest he was agnostic rather than atheistic, colleague in the English department. who who came to me once and said, can I have a word with you privately? So he really did. He took me right away from everybody. And he'd been to a dinner party with his wife and the people holding the dinner party had suggested a seance and they'd had a seance. And he was a total rationalist and weird stuff happened in the seance and it had freaked him a bit. And he wanted to know what I thought about it. And he took me right out privately. He wanted a quality conversation about what we And it gave me a marvellous opportunity to share. I did share very fully with him because he'd opened a door. I didn't say, yeah, you must repent. I shared, well, I think there's more to it. And I think, you know, there's demonic forces, there's God's force, there's a legitimate way into the supernatural through the Holy Spirit, there's an illegitimate way. You know, I gave him a very thorough, hopefully respectful conversation because he'd offered the opportunity and he wanted it. He wanted to know, what did I think? What's this all about? I don't know if he became a Christian. Uh, He might have done. Uh, He didn't, to my knowledge, in my time there. But it was a quality conversation. So I think when people initiate it, that's what's good. That's why they need to see what do you do, and you need to be authentic. So if you don't react the way other people react to something, they sometimes want to know why. So why aren't you so angry as the rest of us about that? And then you have to maybe explain how you view things differently. So those are the opportunities which you can really take, I think, when people actively encourage you to talk to them. Making the most of every opportunity, but wisely. And it goes on to say, let your conversation be always full of grace. We need grace and salt. We need zeal and tact. Let your conversation always be full of grace. What about grace? Let's be quick. Grace respects people and it doesn't rub- rubbish their opinions. Even if you disagree with them. Now, it sounded as though I rubbished people's opinions. Actually, I'm not as bad as I sound. I'm more respectful than I sound sometimes. I like to big it up a bit. But when I was talking to people, but you don't have to be rubbishing people, even if you think, I think this is a ridiculous thing to believe. I think you can wait and appropriately explain it. I think grace brings lightness and laughter to a conversation, grace lifts it sometimes out of too heavy certainly grace will not be hostile. Grace will dissolve hostility. You don't need to argue. You just need to speak the truth in love. Grace though doesn't mean you become a doormat. That does not mean that you have to admit, you know, something ridiculous you don't really believe. It means you can be truthful but loving. It means you can be confident in your answers and in God but not particularly aggressive about other people's views. Grace teaches us, someone said, neither to give offence carelessly nor to take offence causelessly. I quite like that. Grace teaches us neither to give offence carelessly nor to take offence causelessly. Don't get huffy and indignant and offended because they don't believe what you believe. Be gracious about it. Seasoned with salt which suggests a bit of flavour and a bit maybe of bite to the conversation. I don't think we should be too bland. I think even in a politically correct world, try to avoid blandness. I am so annoyed at political correctness, you can tell that. So ticked off by it, to be honest. We all have to say the same thing. Oh, well, everybody did and everybody, we're all tolerating everything and we're all got our dreams and we're all going to find our dreams and we're, we're all this and we're like, oh, shut up, life's not like that. Let's be real. Let's put a bit of salt in the conversation. Not nasty, let's be real. You know, some people have, you know, it's not like that. There are right and wrong. There is things that go badly wrong. There are answers, you know. So I think we can bring a little bit of salt into our conversation. We can challenge untruths in a gracious way. You can ask people questions about what their beliefs are or the assumptions they seem to be making. I think we can put a bit of salt. We can be honest and open and true. I don't know if this would work for you, but I found this helpful. I once heard an evangelist say this. I'm near the end, but I think it's an important bit. I once heard an evangelist say this. that For him, the secret of meaningful conversations with people, quote, was to treat unbelievers as if they were already Christians. He said that's how he thought. So I think what he meant was that if he, would, if he was with Christian friends, he'd talk openly about his faith, and he did the same with unbelievers. I assume that they're the same. Uh, now, sometimes you use slightly different language and package it, but if you give advice to your Christian friends, we'll give advice to your non Christian friends. But hopefully, because you're drawing on the same sources, it'll be similar advice, because it'll be from the Bible. You know, and so it will affect how you advise. And if they're sick, pray for them, like you would for your Christian friends. So, can I pray for you? Can I? And I think that's, I mean, it may or may not work for you, but I think that's not a bad way of thinking of it. Thinking, just being ordinary and real, and then sometimes people are surprised when you say something that you you would naturally say that you know Jesus said. Was that in the Bible? Did Jesus say that? And suddenly you're into a, a conversation. I think... That means people get used to you and you get used to you talking about your faith, which is often one of the most important things. And it certainly means you'll avoid that horrible clunky thing where you know people for months and they don't even know you're a Christian and don't know you go to church. And suddenly it comes up somehow. You by accident say, when I was at church on Sunday, and they go, I didn't know you went to church. I didn't know you believed that. And they've known you for six months. That is so embarrassing. It is less embarrassing to talk about your faith in the first few minutes you meet someone. That is far more embarrassing, believe me. You need, I've done it. (laughs) You need to keep it real and on the front of your life in a natural way, I would say, all the time. So be authentic, be friendly, be prayerful, be wise, be prepared to take every opportunity. Naturally, Don't try and bring people. I didn't try and get the guy in Belgrade Airport or the insulation salesman. I had no thought of trying to get them saved. But there's a whole story behind the scene where they might have a friend and whatever. So you just play your little part. I can assure you a sovereign God is is after these people. The Holy Spirit is seeking them out. And you have the privilege of just being a little part of the story. It's good, isn't it? And then if you do get an opportunity to invite people to here, to Alpha... It's not going to be weird because they know you go to church. They know, yeah. And they might say no. They might say yes. And it's okay. You're not going to break friendship. It's going to come out naturally. It can work. I, I, I honestly have experienced it, even though I still bottle out like the rest of you do at sometimes. But let's be better at it. Amen? Let's, let's stand together. Musicians come up.